Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK. On the show today, one man's quest to walk the entire 8,000 miles of streets, parkways, and cemetery paths that cover New York City. The whole idea of this walk is that it eliminates this thing that we're often doing in daily life, which is like ranking the world, deciding what's better than what, what do I want to go back to, where do I want to spend my time. And then Major League Baseball just had its earliest opening day ever. To celebrate, we'll be joined by former New York Met and Hall of Famer, Mike Piazza. Those dweeby Scottish twins would walk 500 miles, and they would walk 500 more, and they would still be about 8,000 miles short of Matt Green, who was walking every street, avenue, boulevard, parkway, and muse in the five boroughs. He's devoted the last seven years of his life to this project, and the recently released documentary, The World Before Your Feet, tells the story of his ongoing journey. To tell us more about Walking the Walk, we welcome Matt to 112BK. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Did you walk here today? I did walk here today, in fact. And I imagine that at this point, these streets are all streets that you have previously walked. There are, are a few blocks left in like downtown Brooklyn, Vinegar Hill, Brooklyn Bridge Park I still have to do. Is it frustrating for you when you have to cover ground that you've already covered? Um, you know, early on, I would, if I was kind of inefficient with my route or I had to rewalk something, I guess I would think like, oh, no, I could be walking new blocks. But then... I had to put it in perspective and realize that what I'm doing is essentially the least efficient way possible to get from point A to point B. And that is so, correct. yes. And also, like, <laughs> if I don't like walking enough to walk a place twice, I've probably chosen the wrong thing to do with my life. Um, so, so that helps me keep things in perspective. And also, um, you know, you walk a block for the 10th time and notice something for the first time and you realize... It's not like you walk a place once and you know it in any meaningful way at all. So Right. Yeah. So, okay, you're trying to walk every street in New York, but not only streets, uh, parks, beaches, whatnot. Yeah, kind of all the outdoor public-ish spaces, shoreline, cemeteries, bridges, boardwalks, just kind of every walkable thing. And in the film, you sort of estimate that this is going to be like 8,000, 8,500 miles, but according to your blog, you're at 9,000 right now? Yeah, over 9,100 now, and still still seems to be a few hundred left. So, you know, I, I know how much I've walked. I'm not sure how much is left, and every time I've tried to guess how much is left, I've underestimated. Yeah, I know it's a dangerous game to ask you to estimate yeah. how much longer yeah, it's yeah. going to take, but do you have an estimate? I don't. I've stopped even trying. Okay. I'm, just, I'm sick of <laughs> being wrong constantly. Um, and do you do this every day? So I work on this walk every day. What I didn't understand at the beginning is that there would be this whole other component to this walk. And so I would just walk all day and I'd take a lot of photos with my phone. And then I'd spend an hour at night maybe posting the photos to my blog. But then I started getting curious about the things I was seeing. And instead of just being like, oh, that's funny. I wonder what the story is with that and moving on. I would start looking for the answer, and I found out how much information you can get just from a laptop about stuff in New York, newspaper archives, government documents, old maps, old aerial photos. And so there's become almost this like rabbit hole kind of thing going on where the, the more I walk, the more time I spend learning about the places where I walked. And so at this point, I'm probably spending, you know, on average, say, six days of the week just reading about stuff that I saw when I was walking or writing about it and, you know, maybe one day we walking. So it's gone from almost 100% walking to, you know, 5% or something like that. I mean, that really comes across in the documentary, too, that you just have like an encyclopedic knowledge of 
New York history. Uh, things ranging from what type of redwood tree is in somebody's front yard to where synagogues that were converted into churches reside throughout the city. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any other are there any other sort of like focus points for how you organize your walk? Um, I, I don't really organize it in any particular way. It's kind of like, I, you know, I don't research stuff before I go out. I just kind of walk around and, and see what I see. And again, I always have my, you know, generally just use my, my cell phone camera. But that just that practice of, of looking for things to capture kind of frames how I see the city and how I'm looking at it. So over time, themes have just emerged from that. Um, in a way, I'm kind of learning what it is that I'm interested in by seeing what I take photos of. But yeah, there's no particular organizing principle or anything like that. So what are some of those themes or frames mm-hmm. then? Uh, <laughs> you know, things that range from like little windows into human behavior like that to, you know, bigger aspects of city history like the 9-11 memorials or, um, you know, another one you see in the film is like barbershops that use Zs instead of Ss in their title, yeah. um, of which there are many, mm-hmm. many, many, many mm-hmm. more than you might think. Um, so, and some of those things come and go over time. You know, it was a number of years into my walk before I started realizing the, these crazy devices that exist um, largely in Manhattan, but in other parts of the city to try to keep people from sitting on like uh, sprinkler and standpipe connections outside of buildings, these Siamese connections, things that oh, yeah. come out of the ground and have the two little nozzles. That and it looks like they've got a bear trap on the top of them now. Yeah, you've seen right? it. Yeah, right, exactly. But I wouldn't have thought exactly. about that. Yeah, you so you started, you know, I started, it was, it kind of took a couple years to start noticing that. And then there's like all this um, diversity and all these different types of homemade contraptions built on there. And almost are like windows into people's psyches. Like some of them are way too violent to be necessary, like giant spikes sticking right, out. Right, like right. Someone's working out poison their own emotions. Poison tips That's true. Some probably are poison. I didn't even think about that. How do you decide what streets you're going to tackle in a given day? Because it isn't grid-like. Mm-hmm. And you also write all the directions down on paper before you set out. So how do you determine where you're going and why not just look at your Google Maps on your phone? Um, I determine where I'm going just by looking at my progress map. You know, I see the areas that I haven't walked, and I I don't have an apartment, so, you know, I, I stay in different places all over the city, so I'm always somewhere different. So based on where I'm staying, I'll, I'll look at where's the closest gap in my map for me to walk today, and I'll just draw out a, a, a route kind of by hand, I mean, on the computer, but essentially by hand um, for the route that I'm going to walk that day. And what I realized is that it's not important for the route for an individual day to look nice and tidy. That doesn't really necessarily help you do it more efficiently. It's just a matter of what you leave over. So you don't want to leave little unwalked blocks here and there. Um, so a lot of times my walks in isolation just look like crazy shapes, but really they're kind of like jigsaw pieces that fit together. You and don't want to like leave a cul-de-sac on the table. Exactly. Basically. But of course, you know, new cul-de-sacs get built and I have to go back and walk them. That's Ugh. happened a number of times. But <laughs> they're actually... Um, decent number of streets that Google doesn't know about, which makes me feel good that there's some things they still don't know. Right. Um, Me too. Every time there's like a dead end they miss, it's like a little triumph. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So you mentioned that you don't have an apartment. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the choices that you have made in your life to enable you to do this project. Sure. Um, Yeah. So the big big decision um, in in thinking through whether I could begin this, this project was... How am I going to have enough money to live in New York? I had formerly worked as a civil engineer. I'd saved up a good amount of money. And I make a little bit of money doing this, um, like through my blog and for doing talks and stuff. But, um, 
you know, I definitely didn't have enough of an income to pay rent in New York. And then uh, a friend asked me, you know, to watch her cat while she was gone for two weeks. I was like, oh, two weeks in one place. Look at this. Luxurious. And then I started realizing the magic of cat sitting. And so now, now there's you know little short stays on people's couches and longer stays in people's apartments when they're when they're out of town and need someone to watch a pet or water the plants or whatever. Um, so anyway, that's kind of the main thing that's enabled me to do this by cutting cutting the rent out of the equation and the other costs of daily life. I can kind of get through through either my little income or, or the savings that I still have left. And how much do you spend a day? Sometimes I, I could guess maybe 15 bucks a day on kind of the like daily costs of life. Um, and then there's also, you know, health insurance and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, you know, try to keep it to as little as possible. And a lot of days that means zero. So to many people, I think this seems like a crazy amount of sacrifice that you've given up a lot of what we view as normal and sort of mm-hmm. a consumerist economy in order to pursue this project. And I imagine that many people want to know why. Yeah. To me, it feels the exact opposite. Like, I feel like I'm just the luckiest person in the world. I don't feel like I've sacrificed anything. I'm just, like, getting to do exactly what I want each day. And I couldn't be doing it without people providing me with these places to stay and stuff to eat. And, like, um, to me, I just feel incredibly blessed by what I'm doing, you know, that, um, that like, I, I, don't, I haven't had to give up anything that seemed valuable to me. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm doing it. It's just... I know that that I guess I feel the most fulfilled doing this of anything that I've done in my life. What's um, fulfilling about it? I'm not sure. You know, it's just like at the end of the day, it feels good. There's just this absence of bad feeling, I guess, is really what it is. There's like, you know, I'm constantly getting to um, follow my curiosity just to whatever end I want to let it lead me. So now I can just kind of follow this detail for a week if I want and, you know, no one's there to tell me it's pointless. So I think a lot of it is is having that real luxury of of just kind of finding out what I think is important and mm-hmm. not having to meet someone else's deadlines or like their idea of what matters in the world. I mean, it seems like as you've, you're talking about pursuing your own curiosity and sort of living moment to moment and finding out what interests you. And the film also shows you interacting with people all day as you walk through spaces. I think that's what struck me about the documentary was that you seemed so incredibly present mm. being on whatever street you were on that day, talking to whoever was hanging out on the corner. Yeah. The whole idea of this walk is that it eliminates this thing that we're often doing in daily life, which is like ranking the world, deciding what's better than what, what do I want to go back to, where do I want to spend my time? And, you know, I mean, if you look, probably if you just Google New York or something, you know, you'll, you'll see like lists of best of, like that's just the way we see the People world. People click on listicles. Yeah, exactly. There's just this whole, whole way of seeing New York and the rest of the world is like, what should I do and what should I not do? And I think there's something really taxing about always trying to rank what you're doing and compare it to something else. So there's something about that that just keeps you in the present. And also, you know, because I don't have a particular destination, I'm, you know, it's not like I have to get through these blocks so I can get to the really exciting thing up ahead that's really cool that I know about that my friend told me about. <laughs> right. It's just this block is just where I am now and I have nothing else going on in, in my life other than to look around there. So I think there's just no way to do this walk without 
being more present. You recently did a Reddit AMA and people kept on asking you again and again, like, what's your favorite street? What's Mm. the top three blocks in the city? And you could sense that reluctance on your part to bring a hierarchy to all of these Right. These streets. And I think you did do it reluctantly at one point. And you were like, fine, the top three are this. Well, I was like, I was like, you know, if I had to give you three, maybe it would be this just just as a way to kind of like showcase the diversity of the landscapes and people in New York. But then like had to go on and explain for like endless paragraphs about why, why I couldn't really answer the question. Um, but yeah, I always say uh, a friend of mine gave me this answer, but it's true and also annoys people a lot. It's just to say my, my favorite block is the next block that I walk, which is true. It's, you know, because the walk is all about what's coming up. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a scene in the movie where you meet up with some fellow travelers, mm-hmm. people who are doing similar walks. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the gentleman from Jamaica who yeah. is trying to, is he also trying to walk every city? There aren't that many people who basically spend their whole life walking around New York. You know, I'd met a handful of them and they were always white guys. And so it was just a whole different world having my friend Garnett, a black guy, who was just telling me his personal stories about walking around New York and, and certain challenges that he faced, you know, just because of his appearance, because of his race. And, um, you know, he touches on that a lot in the movie. And um, he also has a, a really great essay called Walking While Black that just kind of explains his, his ex- experiences as a pedestrian. He's a fascinating guy in many ways, not to pigeonhole him there. But, um, but that's just uh, something that, that he brought brought to the movie and, and to my own awareness that was really eye-opening. Yeah, because you've mentioned that you have never felt unsafe in your walk. And, right. and meanwhile... He said that he has to walk around while holding a book. Yeah, to like make he'll he'll try to you know feel non-threatened, which spe- is crazy to me that he right. has to carry a book everywhere. Right, right. I mean, that's you know his thing is if he he dresses kind of nicely, carries a book. He says he just tries to look like a nerd. You right. know that because uh, as a black guy, it's a lot more of an issue for him to appear unthreatening. Sure. So that's just not something that I have to think about. And when you see us in the movie, it's kind of this funny contrast because he's there with his like nice button-down collared shirt. And I just, you know, look like a total bum, like I always do. You wear a lot of wicking fabrics. Yeah, right. Yeah. But they look like scrubs. <laughs> it's kind of like if you were a pedestrian nurse, just you just got your scrubs on. You know, that's sure. what I look like scrubs all the time. Scrubs with, with the zip-off <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, short segment. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to talk again about this idea of there being no hierarchy among blocks because it's so antithetical to what we think about New York often, where it's like, you know, this block is the toniest block in Manhattan or, right. you know, Museum Mile or right. all of these addresses that are worth more than others. And I'm curious about what walking the five boroughs, what did it teach you about inequality in the mm. city? I mean, you, you know, you just are faced with the inequality in the city. I mean, it's there for everybody to see. It's just a matter of we're not all out there in all these different neighborhoods looking at it. And so then you kind of have to resort to reading about it and hearing other people's theories about it. But, you know, just being out there in the city, I mean, of course, you see the distinction between, you know, the way people live on, on Park Avenue and in, in Brownsville. Or, and a lot of it, honestly, I guess, now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, a lot of times it's within a neighborhood, too, you know. You can be in the, the toniest neighborhood in Manhattan and you'll still see some people sleeping on the street. And, yeah, it's a real reminder that, We've got a, a long way to go in terms of, of taking care of people and, and um, you know, figuring out our values as a society. Mm-hmm. Is there a friendliest neighborhood in New York? Uh, no, there's not a friendliest neighborhood in New York. Is there I, a neighborhood where people, like, want to talk to you more? 
if you engage people anywhere where they're not just rushing to work, they're pretty much uniformly friendly. And so I, I think it has less to do with, you know, is this person friendly or not? And just are they in a hurry somewhere? And you have a background as a civil engineer, you mm-hmm. mentioned. I'm curious about what this walk has taught you about urban planning as well, about uh, walkability of mm-hmm. neighborhoods or if, you know, the construction of certain throughways sort of condemned certain neighborhoods mm-hmm. to a fate of right. unwalkableness. Right, right. Yeah, um, it's interesting because, you know, obviously I'm I'm pro-walking. Um, you know, I, I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would like the, suck if you hated walking. I know. <laughs> I would have chosen the wrong line of work. But yeah, I mean, obviously, walkability is is something I'm concerned about. But at the same time, this is coming from somebody who, who's able-bodied, who can get around easily, who you know, who doesn't have limitations that other people might. And there was something that, that this isn't walking specific, but it has to do with um, a friend of mine who let me stay in her place in the Rockaways. And her father had been in a nursing home there. He had an electric wheelchair there. And she needed me to bring it up to his place on the Upper West Side. So I had to go to this nursing home in the Rockaways, just get this electric wheelchair, kind of drive it down the street a little bit to the subway, and then get on the subway, ride the subway up to like 96th Street on the Upper West Side. And so this is like all of a sudden opened up this whole other world to me that's almost impossible to see when you're not a person sitting in a wheelchair having to get this gigantic contraption around. Everything from like, you know, you have to pay attention to every ramp, you know, every curb cut to get down to the street, to cross the street. Sometimes they're just not there. Sometimes they're cracked and broken or they let you out in like a big disgusting puddle or, um, you know, so so even just finding ways across the street's challenging. And then, you know, it comes to getting on the subway, planning out a route. There's so few elevators in the subway in New York, you know, having to kind of come up with a roundabout route to get where you need. So there's an elevator in every transfer. Even getting from the platform onto the train, there are times where the, the lip of the train is a couple inches above the platform. And the only reason I was able to get the wheelchair in is because I don't need the wheelchair. The and wheelchair. I could get out of the wheelchair and pull it right. up on, on there. So that like really opened my eyes to this idea that maybe I don't actually have a great perspective on walkability, being someone who can walk places very easily. Um, and that it takes really being in somebody else's shoes, wheelchair, et cetera, um, to understand those needs better. So in a way, I'm probably not a, a great person to answer that question. Well, I would love to see a companion blog by somebody talking yeah, about absolutely. Yeah, which access points are accessible. That's a great idea because it's this whole other like mental overhead that yeah. goes into just, you know, if I want to get from here to there, I just walk it. I have some, maybe I have to go over a fence even, you know, it's like I can still do it, but that's not the case for a lot of people. Yeah, it's weird to think of walking as a luxury, but yeah. you know, we are fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what about shoes? What shoes do you wear? I, I don't think that shoes are that important when you're walking. Hmm. I think it's more like you find a pair that fits you and then just keep buying the same type. And then you have calluses exactly where your foot rubs that type of shoe and you'll never get blisters again. What about the people who are really into barefoot walking and running? You know, you got to do what you got to do. I, you know, I, I think the whole argument that our feet, you know, evolved barefoot makes sense, but we also weren't on concrete. Right. Also, I don't know that that excuses the shoes with toes. (laughs) Um, What is next for you? I mean, the end is in sight for you with this project. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know what you're attempting next? Uh, We should note that before you did this project, you walked uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast of the United States. Yes. I walked from from New York to Oregon. Will there be Um, another walking project in your future? Maybe. I have no idea. Um, I didn't know I was going to do this when I finished the cross-country walk. So... Yeah, I'm not sure. 
maybe you can tell us about the film and where people can see it. And oh, yeah. maybe if they want to, you know, visit your blog as well. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so the film's called The World Before Your Feet. It's a documentary, 95-minute film where the plot is Guy Walks Around. Sounds riveting. Spoiler. Sound, yeah, I know. Spoiler. Also, you know I don't die. Right, now. right. And that you haven't finished yet. Yes. So, all the, the, yeah, everything's spoiled pretty much. Um, but if you still want to watch it, um, it's on, you know, various online places, iTunes, Amazon, all that. And my website is imjustwalking.com. You can go see exciting pictures of fire hydrants, blades of grass, things that fell on the ground that I saw. It's just riveting stuff. Great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Two away. Piazza rips it. Will it stay fair? Goodbye, home run! Mike Piazza! A three-run homer! 11-8! Our next guest needs no introduction. 112BK is thrilled to welcome the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Piazza. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Um, may I say that you're uh, you're way more approachable than I thought that you would be in real life. Um, thank you. Just like a normal, you know, you just strike me as like a normal, a normal guy. Pretty normal. Yeah. You see, you also seem younger in, re- in life too, like younger and shorter. But they say that, right? Like that people seem shorter in real life. So. I've never gotten it, but sure. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you again for coming on the show. My um, pleasure. So you were born and raised in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, no, how- actually, I was I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was raised in Chicago. So. Oh, oh, that's that's embarrassing. Sorry about. That. <laughs> um, someone's getting fired. Um, okay, so uh, Chicago, um, but when did okay when did you first know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, wow. So I, you know, I was obviously got hooked when I was a kid yeah. and, um, your, your dad, right. Uh, also really involved. Uh, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. And he, so when I was a kid, I was doing it. And then obviously I was the star in high school. Um, and after that, when it was, you know, the question was, what are you going to do? It was really like, this is the only thing I'm good at. The rest is history. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so now you live in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, what keeps you busy these days? So the big thing I'm doing is I'm teaching theater to a lot of kids. No shit. Middle school and, and elementary. So, yeah, I'm, the big thing that we're doing now is uh, with a group in Staten Island bringing theater uh, with literacy to help these kids raise their test scores and to um, use theater as a tool to teach them the literacy stuff, hopefully that they can uh, do better at their testing. Uh, Mike, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, really, I mean, if you don't mind me saying it, I think that's so inspiring uh, above and beyond. That's, I mean, truly, truly, I think that's really remarkable what you're doing. Thank you. You have to love what you do. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, uh, so let's get down to your legacy. Um, you're a catcher. <laughs> that's a little, that's a little personal, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, I guess must be really you. You must have to take what you do really personally uh, in order to, you know, be so good at what you do. You know, rookie of the year, um, twelve-time All-Star, member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, I guess that must be like a really yeah. um, I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not the baseball player. I'm what? I'm. My name is Mike Piazza, but I'm not the the Mets catcher. 
obviously. I mean, I'm. <laughs> he was playing when I was a kid, so. Oh, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, who, who, who are you? I'm Mike Piazza. I'm a theater artist, and I am a theater educator. I teach theater to kids. Right, literacy. Okay. So, yeah. so you are Mike. You are Mike Piazza. I am Mike okay. Piazza. Do, do, you, do you ever think about going by Michael Piazza? I have to in paperwork, but I prefer to be known as okay. Mike Piazza, or Mr. <laughs> Mike. To my kids, so. <laughs> Mr. M- okay. Well. Um, I'm sorry. This is, uh, but you, you know, I. This seems real. You seem really. You seem really great. You seem really great. Thank uh, you. So you know, um, maybe we can just. Um, well, I guess like a lot of these questions don't really. Okay. Um, oh, uh, all right. Do, do you do you have a favorite baseball player of all time? Maybe you could. No, I I don't like baseball. Okay. Um, do, do you think that, that the Mets have a chance this year? Are they even playing yet? I mean... Okay. Um, are you gay? Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Um, there you have it. Uh, Mike Piazza is a homosexual. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Mike. You're welcome. That's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. One Win 2 BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 